from Luke, chapter 5, as you can see there, and uh, starting at verse 33. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says, the old is better. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields and his disciples began to pick some ears of corn, rub them in their hands and eat the grain. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God And taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful, only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And now Paul is going to come and lead us in our prayers for the wider world. Thanks, Paul. Structures come in all sorts of shapes and all sorts of sizes. Some can appear to be fantastically strong and amazingly effective. But looks can be a little deceptive. Um, uh, Harry Emerson Forsdick apparently pointed out that the Great Wall of China is a gigantic structure as you know, which cost an immense amount of money um, and also labour. When it was finished, it appeared impregnable because it was meant to keep the Mongols out, I believe. But the, the enemy breached it. So the one thing it was meant to do, it didn't. The enemy breached it. Not by breaking it down or going around it, far too big, They did it by bribing the gatekeepers. They managed to work their way around. So there's that fantastic, amazing structure not really doing its function. So structures have a function, they have a purpose. If they don't achieve that purpose, one has to ask just how effective is that structure. Now, this is... Continuing on in our series, where we look at the characteristics 
of a healthy church. And so far we've looked at empowering leadership, gift-orientated ministry, and inspiring worship. And I quite frankly feel as though I've taken the short straw with the less than inspiring title of functional structures. I mean, honestly, what does that mean? And how is that meant to be inspirational? Well, it sounded awful to me, if I'm honest, and uh, thoroughly uninspiring. And I uh, struggled to see how I was going to make sense of this. And then there's also the accompanying text, Luke 5, and specifically verses 37 and 38. And no one pours a new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. Uh, The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. I admit, when I read that, I thought, right, well, I I think I know what all those words mean. But I'll be blown if I can see how that relates to characteristics of a healthy church. As ever, God is patient and gracious, and through my struggling, I was able to see that indeed God has a message for us this morning. So let me take you through the, uh, the process, my efforts uh, to try and make sense of this. I began by thinking I needed to put this, this wineskins business into some sort of context, as my gut feeling was that this verse could quite easily be used to justify all sorts of things. So, what is the context? Jesus has just come under some criticism. The first of these is found just before the verses um, that were read earlier, and it's, it's about Jesus and who he spends his time with. In chapter 5, verse 30, we read, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink? with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus responds by saying that as a doctor transforms the lives of those who are ill, so he has come to transform the lives of sinners. Jesus was here to change things. Remaining the same was really not going to be an option. Something radical was happening and we can see that Jesus is already challenging those that believed they had religion and the way of doing it and going about it, they had it all sewn up. He's making them question their way of doing things already. And so to the next criticism, these uh, same Pharisees and teachers of the law then point out that along with their own disciples and even uh, John the Baptist's disciples, they are a, they fast regularly, but Jesus' disciples appear not to do so, and that is troubling. Now, it's at this point that Jesus responds with his brief parables about a, a patching and some wineskins, some sort of illustrative structures, I guess. It should be noted that uh, there was really only one day in the Jewish calendar when fasting was absolutely required for the Jew, and that was on the Day of Atonement. However, it was widespread practice to fast on other occasions. So that's why it raises questions that Jesus' 
that Jesus does not require his disciples to do likewise. Now initially, Jesus uses an image of celebration and points out in verse 34, well, that wedding guests, well, they don't normally fast. And any of you been to um, weddings, you will know that. He says, can you make the guests Can you make the guests fast when the bridegroom is present? No, this this is a happy experience. Why why would anyone want to be mournful at a wedding? Jesus does point out that there would be time for the mourning and the, the sorrow. That could come later. But for now, it's about joy. Already, so early in his ministry, Jesus is here pointing to his ultimate purpose in coming to die upon the cross for all humanity. And of course, that would be a time of great sorrow and mourning, but then there would be a time to fast, but but not now. He's with them, and it's wonderful, and life is to be celebrated. And so we come to the first illustrating structure, clothing. Jesus said in verse 36, We've heard it already. No one sews a piece of new material on an old one. Otherwise, the new would tear. For the new piece does not match the old. Now you're all imagining my socks. Anyway, this structural illustration is taken from the homely practice of patching clothes. By using a new garment to patch an old, quite simply, both are ruined. The new, because it now has a hunk and great hole, in it and the old because this new patch it doesn't match it doesn't go it won't wash properly it just doesn't work and then the second illustrate structural illustration is the wineskins and no one puts new wine into old wineskins otherwise the new wine will burst the wineskins and it will be spilled and the wineskins will be destroyed but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. The uh, squeamish amongst you might like to close your ears just for a second as I explain a little bit about those wineskins. The organs, the flesh, and bones of the animal are basically, usually a goat, are uh, basically removed, and, uh, and they try to leave the skin as much intact as possible so that it can be used as a container. At first, there would be some elasticity in the skin, so that as fermentation in the wine occurred and the gases expanded, there would be some give, and the skin container could, uh, could accommodate that necessary expansion. As the wine skin grew older, so it lost that flexible quality, and could therefore easily burst when put under pressure. You therefore wouldn't dream of putting new wine into old wineskins, as you would end up with A, burst skins, resulting in B, wasted wine. And we can't have that. So, what is Jesus going on about here with his structural illustrations of clothing and wineskins? Simply put, it was that he was here teaching them something, as I said earlier, something radically new and not simply that patch, that add-on to Judaism. It was not teaching that that, uh, could be poured 
It was not his teaching that could be poured into old wineskins. This was new teaching. Now, we'll just do a pause, because following these illustrations, Jesus' disciples get into trouble again for picking corn on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds by pointing out that on occasion, even David, the greatest king in Jewish history, so revered by the Jews then and now, broke the rule when it was necessary. David and his companions ate the consecrated bread in the temple in order to stave their hunger. Now, David did that which the rule, the traditions, said he should not, so that he and his companions might live. But Jesus isn't simply arguing that repressive regulations should be relaxed and a more liberal attitude adopted, but that they, the religious leaders, have missed the point of the holy day. Leon Morris writes that, had they understood it, they would have seen that deeds of mercy such as this were not merely permitted, they were obligatory. Jesus then goes on to say a most astonishing thing. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Astonishing because he is claiming to be the Son of Man and that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a divine institution and therefore to be Lord of this is indeed an elevated position. Jesus is referring to his role as Messiah. Jesus can bring in the new because he is Lord. He is not restricted by the law. He has come to fulfil it. But let's get back to those wineskins. There's clearly some debate, from my research, there's clearly some debate about what Jesus meant by this. One school of thought seems to be to use these verses when thinking about those that follow Jesus then, the disciples, and those who do so now, the church. Jesus was doing something new, and in order to follow God more closely, we, like the disciples, need to adopt new ways of doing things. Perhaps uh, when examining our church structures, we consider how healthy the church is, is when it's looking at how effective it is. Is the structure functioning as it should? Is it, unlike the uh, Great Wall of China, is it fit for purpose? Perhaps we need to be prepared to put old ways of doing things that no longer function as they ought to one side and pursue the new. Now, I can't tell you how many different ways of uh, my research for this sermon has led me to discover new and different church structures, new and different ways of organising um, the church. Um, we've heard uh, some of the hierarchical ones where decisions are come from, uh, from the top and work their way down. Others... Um, focus more on this idea that Jesus went out. Jesus was in the community. So that's where we should be. Each professes their effectiveness. And and I could spend the sermon doing that. But to be honest, I don't think it's... Now is not the time to be looking at those different structures. There's a bigger question to be considering this morning. Perhaps, I mean, I could have, I could have talked about that, uh, I, I, I thought about having a slide up of the, you know, that diagram that uh, we've, uh, we have where we have organised everything that we do within Brighton Road, within our three dimensions. We have the relationship with God, we have relationship with one another, and we have a relationship with our community. And everything that we do is incorporated within that. And I thought about showing that, but 
Actually, again, that's not, ultimately, I don't think that's where we need to look this morning. We need to be thinking about, the title is for today in this series, on characteristics of a healthy church, is functional structure. So perhaps what we need to be doing is thinking of Brighton Road like a wineskin and evaluating its effectiveness. In the way it's organised, achieving its purpose, its function, are we trying to, uh, are we trying to pour new wine into old wineskins? When we think of the different activities that we are all individually involved in, and if you're not involved in something, I strongly recommend that you do get involved. Think about those activities. Is that the way that group is organised? Does it uh, is it really as effective as it should be? What direction is God moving and wanting you to move in? Perhaps you need to be considering some of those sorts of questions within that group, whichever one it happens to be. What direction is God wanting you as a group to move in? How do we ensure that we're not putting new wine into old wineskins? Now, it may be that God is teaching us at Brighton Road something new, leading us in a new direction, giving us, as it were, new wine. What we must be really careful to avoid is forcing that new wine into our religious patterns, our traditional ways of gathering. A bit like the comfortable old sock that I didn't really want to let go of. Because that's what uh, we know, that's what we're comfortable with. Berlin Fossner writes, I wonder how much new wine has been spilt by well-meaning Christians and defenders of the status quo who have insisted that a new approach be merged into a present way of doing church. Perhaps a suggestion has been made, uh, but is swiftly put down with words like, well, that's not very us. That's, uh, that's not very Brighton Road. Just a thought. There really is a, a warning here, isn't there? We, we risk losing the joy from God's leading and teaching tasting the new wine because we insist on restricting it into an inflexible wineskin of our own choosing. There is a tendency, I think, with this passage on wineskins to simplify it as new equals good and old equals bad. And it strikes me that when this passage has been looked at Whilst the aim has not been to cause hurt, it has resulted in folk feeling quite uh, left out, ignored, and perhaps even unloved, as they feel identified with the old. Traditional ways of structuring and doing church equals bad, and new and shiny ways of structuring and doing church is good. Hmm. Well, a church that is led by Christ doesn't leave its members feeling left out or ignored, and certainly not unloved. When looking at the wineskins passage, it's important not to forget to look at verse 38 and 39 together. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. For he says the old is better. Joel Green points out that Luke emphasises the roots of this new movement, 
from Jesus within the expectations of Judaism. He says, the burden of the birth narrative, the genealogy, the temptation account, and the inaugural sermon at Nazareth, which is basically chapters 1 to 4 that precedes where we're looking, where we're picking up, is that Jesus is bringing to fruition the ancient purpose of God. In other words, what we're not talking about here is a baby in bathwater exercise. Jesus is rooted in Judaism. He, he has roots in the past. The past does matter. It would not be right to ignore what has gone on before. So if this passage is not about ditching and ignoring past ways, practice and traditions, what is it about? As we've already seen, yes, uh, a community, Brighton Road Baptist Church level, it would be wrong to take the new that God is teaching us and insist it conform to our way of doing things. But there is also something that we as an individual need to consider. Ian Paul, a Church of England theologian and uh, author, challenged me with uh, his question, what functions as the container for Jesus' teaching? religious structures or religious people. The container could be seen as the church, but it also could be the individual believer, you and I. He goes on to say, the parable is not about creating new structures or institutions, which surely themselves over time will become rigid as the old wineskins have done but about people who are willing to receive the teaching about what God is now doing. We don't necessarily need to scrap the patterns created in response to earlier teaching, though we may be interested in reforming them. Much more important is whether, as people listening to his teaching, we enact the traditions we have received with flexibility compassion and grace. And it was this that the Pharisees lacked. So, the challenge we have this morning is, what new wine is God wanting to pour into your life? Are you going to be a flexible new wineskin so that you may receive it and be of use in God's kingdom without scorning the amazing old that God has already done in your life. Who you are now has roots in the past, and that is not to be overlooked, but equally, it must not be a constraint to God working in your life in a new way now. God wants to challenge you today. God wants to work in your life in a new way today. Do you receive This new wine that he offers you, do you receive it as a new wineskin? Do you receive it willing to confirm, sorry, willing uh, willing to conform to his will rather than imposing your own? If we are to be a healthy church, then as individuals we need to be willing to put our own agenda down and come before God saying, here I am, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. Let's pray.
Father, we are often stubborn and hold on to the things that you would have us let go. We ask your forgiveness. We're sorry for when we prioritise our wants, our tastes and preferences before your will. Help us to listen. Help us now, Lord, to be like new wineskins and fill us anew. In your name we pray. Amen. Our final hymn uses these words, Lord of the Church, we seek, it's actually verse 2 if you can put it up, Ken, we seek a Father's blessing, a true repentance, and a faith restored, a swift obedience, and a new possessing, filled with the Holy Spirit of the Lord.